any real debating it. We are a distracted people. Uh, I was reading a study the other day. The most recent study says that the average American right now between work and, and personal life after work is averaging about 11 hours of screen time. Um, 11 hours on a screen. Uh, if you take work out, and this isn't like productive screen time that they're talking about. If you have to be on a computer for your work, it doesn't really include that. Uh, but outside of kind of uh, personal, outside of work, our, our personal kind of consumption of screen time as Americans right now is in the neighborhood of seven hours. And, and so what that means, and, and you may have kind of noticed some of this with your boss, uh, depending on the type of person you work for, that companies right now are saying, all right, if the average American's on for about 11 hours work and, and home combined, and outside of work it's about seven hours, that means in an eight-hour day, <laughs> We're losing about four hours of uh, productivity. And so you may have noticed your company having some, uh, uh, some rules and some regulations when it comes to screen time uh, at work. And it's just kind of a nut that everybody's trying to, to crack. But like I said, the average in, in the U.S. is about 11 hours, uh, seven hours outside of work. And just a few hours, just a few years ago, excuse me, it was in the neighborhood of four to five. And, and so it's rapidly increasing and we are a distracted people, and it is, it's kind of a big deal. Um, distracted driving claims about eight lives per year, about 3,500 per year. But in addition to that, there's just a lot of stuff that comes from that level of screen usage uh, in a given day. Uh, insomnia and poor sleep. Uh, the study was saying that as you're scrolling, you know, the last thing you do before you go to sleep as you're scrolling through your phone, the light of the phone is telling you it's daytime. Right? Your body's telling you it's time to go to sleep, but the light of the phone uh, or the light of the tablet is telling you it's, it's time to be awake. And, and so you might find yourself uh, having insomnia or poor sleeping uh, patterns, an obvious one, eye strain and headaches, um, addictive behaviors. You wonder, like, how did we go from four to five uh, in, like, 2018, 2019 uh, to seven hours outside of work right now? It's addictive, uh, the, the, these kind of uh, uh, Facebook and some of that, it, it, it causes us to be addicted to more and more screen. Neck, shoulder, back pain, um, changes to cognition. We know how uh, over screen time, what, what it does to a child's brain, the experts kind of know that. But what we don't think about is what it does to an adult brain. And so one of the things the study shows is that uh, the more screen time you consume, um, your thinking begins to change a little bit and it's harder for you to make decisions and it's harder for you to arrive at the right decision. So if you've ever evaluated culture and be like, what are they thinking? It might just be that they're on a screen for 11 hours a day, right? And they're not exactly thinking uh, the right way. And then of course, reduced physical activity levels, 11 hours of screen time. It doesn't leave a ton of time for, you know, walking or saying hi to people or, <laughs> you know being a good neighbor. It just doesn't leave much time for that. And so we are a distracted generation, and I think it can compromise our health and our relationships. What you might not think about what we're going to talk about today a little bit is being distracted in our relationship to God. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. 
Uh, we've been in this series called Contrast in the book of Luke, and we're just looking at one of uh, Luke's favorite ways to record the life of Jesus is to show us these stories where you've got kind of two thought patterns and two ideologies, two ways of living, and the way Luke tells the stories it is kind of meant to present to us a fork in the road about how do you want to think, how do you want to live, what type of person do you want to be, and so today we're going to see one uh, about uh, distracted living versus engaged living, and here's the story in Luke 10. As Jesus and the disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that, she, uh, that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her to help me. Sounds like a sibling group, right? Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Only a few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Right? So you have in this story, it's a very simple story. Martha is distracted by the preparations of the day. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. She's learning from him. She's sitting there, uh, taking in everything that he has to say. And can you imagine the opportunity to kind of have Jesus over for lunch? To have Jesus at your house. You're going to Applebee's after, after church today. You're like, I'm inviting Jesus to come with us. You know, he was in church today, right? Can you imagine that opportunity to have Jesus sitting there with you and the ability to ask him questions? It's like, well, Jesus, I have this situation with my brother. What do you think? Or, or at work or in my church. Jesus, tell me what I should do. And I know we can do that through prayer. I totally understand that. But in this case, Jesus is literally sitting right there. And they can engage with him and ask him questions and seek his guidance on how they should live. And I think because of that, it would be really easy for us to be judgmental of Martha, right? How could you be so distracted? The Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior of the universe, is sitting in your home for lunch. How on earth could you be so distracted? And the truth is, a lot of human history would say the same thing about us. They would say, man, you've got the scriptures. You've got uh, the accounts of Jesus. You have the completed story of the resurrection. You, you have this amazing opportunity to do the same thing here, to sit and learn from Jesus. And the question of this text is, are we too distracted? As Americans and as people, are we too distracted to take advantage of the opportunity, the spiritual opportunities we've been given? And so in this story, we see that the distraction has to do with the preparations of life, that, that Jesus was coming over, and she's distracted. It's like lunch has to get on the table, the house has to be cleaned, uh, the, the Legos have to be put in their bins, maybe I'm just projecting, right? That, um, that there's stuff that needs to be done, the house needs to be picked up, and I think it would be easy to see how distracted we, we could become with that, right? The day-to-day -day things that we have to do. That you might be thinking about already. As Sunday morning rolls around into the afternoon, you might already be thinking about Monday. It's like, Monday I've got to get up, I've got a dentist appointment, I've got this, I've got that, I've got to go here. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves distracted by the preparations of life. I've shared this with you before, but I love what Mike Bro said about the comings and goings of life. He said, I meet so many bored people just doing the same stuff every day. It never changes. It's the same old life. You get up at the same old time, 
You shut off the same old alarm clock. You walk into the same old bathroom. You look at the same old face in the mirror. You get in the same old shower. You dry off with the same old tower. You put on the towel. You put on the same old clothes. You walk down to the same old kitchen. You get out that same old bowl. You pour in that same old cereal. You eat that same old cereal with the same old spoon, and you drink some of the same old coffee. You read some of the same old newspaper, and then you drive to the same old job, sit at the same old desk, laugh at the same old jokes by the same old boss who's telling it the same old way. You clock out at the same old time, you get back in that same old car, you drive down to the same old street, park in the same old garage, walk back into the same old kitchen, sit down and eat the same old dinner, walk to the family room and sit in the same old recliner, watch the same old Wheel of Fortune, fall asleep in the same old chair, get up and go to the same old bed, roll over and hit the same old alarm clock, and get up and do the same thing all over again. And then in the midst of all that, Mike, bro, you could tell when he mentioned newspaper, he said this a long time ago. But in the time that he said this, now we've got between 7 and 11 hours of screen every single day. So one of the things that people have a tendency to say, you probably noticed the one-upmanship of this, is the busy one-upmanship. Like, man, alive, I've got to really be busy week ahead. Oh, you don't have a busy week ahead. Listen to my busy week ahead, right? And we one-up how busy we are. Study after study after study shows we have more free time right now than we have since they've been studying free time. We have free time right now. We're not busy. We're distracted. And, and those are two different things, right? Being busy to, like, having appointments and meetings and all of that stuff, that is different than... Uh, I need to watch 18 episodes of my favorite show, right? Those are two different things. I, I'm so busy, you wouldn't believe how backlogged my DVR is, right? right? Th- those are two different things. And we are a distracted people, and, and sometimes that same old routine keeps us from learning from and sitting with Jesus and growing in him, especially since when the same old routine doesn't really include time with Jesus, Right, when you get through the same old routine of how you operate every day, and it doesn't include a time to sit with Jesus. We're going to talk about this more in a minute. But, but that, that especially leads to all of a sudden, day after day goes by, and you've done the same old thing, but you've never sat and learned from Jesus. And there are so many ways to do this. Reading the Gospels, listening to worship songs, hearing sermons, all right, meeting with other Christians, uh, whatever responsibilities we have day in and day out. And you might probably have a li- little bit of a different list than Mike Bro. But whatever your list is, we want to make sure that we make time to sit and learn from Jesus. So the preparations of life are uh, a big deal in this story. Another kind of distraction for us is the worries of life. I kind of picture Martha being a worry type, don't you? You can read this story and you can hear the pitch of her worry increasing. I am overwhelmed. I am concerned. I have a million things going on, and my sister is sitting and learning from Jesus. Jesus, tell her to help me. I'm reminded of what Jesus said one time as the worry increases. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not your life more than food and your body more than clothes? Like, Martha, Martha, stop worrying so much. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father clothes them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? I love that. Who of you by worrying? Worry's a distraction. 
Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? The truth is, not only does worrying not add a single hour to our life, but worry can actually rob us of time and energy. And I can testify to this because I am a world-class worrier. As a matter of fact, when I was in high school, my parents enrolled me in a course to try to learn to stop worrying. They were worried about me. That's where I get it from, right? They were so worried about me uh, that they enrolled me in a class. And I was telling Cheryl about it several years ago now. But I was telling her, yeah, in this class, they kind of taught you, like when the worries of this life kind of overwhelm you, kind of put yourself in a happy spot and just allow yourself to relax. So they would, they use the imagery of a beach, you know, get yourself on a beach where the sun's beating on your arm and the sun's beating on your head, the sun's beating on your body, and you're just feeling the warmth and you feel yourself relaxing. And I'm going on and on about this to Cheryl. And she says, that would not solve my worrying at all. I'm like, where is my sunscreen? I need my sunscreen. What did I do with it? Is it in my other bag? And I was like, oh man, I've married someone that can outworry me. I was impressed, right? But it's true, we're all like that a little bit. And you've probably had the same experience that I've had of where you get wound up about something and you're worrying and you're worrying and you're worrying about they're gonna say this, they're gonna do that, this thing's gonna happen and it ends up all for naught. It ended up not happening that way at all. Are you like me? My worries rarely come to fruition. Rarely. I'm thinking about the worst case scenario and it hardly ever happens that way. It ended up, here's what it ended up being. My worries ended up being a huge distraction. The truth is we would be better off learning, sitting with and learning from Jesus rather than worrying. And I think when we spend time with Jesus, our theological understanding increases and our worry decreases. So as you just get to know Jesus, as you sit and learn from him, you start to see him as a good shepherd who provides for his sheep. Worry, deep breath. Jesus is our shepherd. He provides for the sheep. Worry decreases. You begin to see his power displayed in the resurrection. And it's like, oh, Jesus has all the power going to be okay. When you begin to see his overwhelming love for people displayed on the cross, oh, he loves me. Deep breath into it. You don't need a beat. You don't need to imagine a beach with the sun beating on your head, giving you the worst sunburn you've ever had in your life, right? You don't need that. A theological understanding of Jesus, of who he is and what he came to do. The spending time with him, it increases our understanding and it decreases our worry. And I know it sounds like a pet church answer. You are in church though. Spend time with Jesus. That's what we need to do. Spend time. I know it sounds pet, but sometimes pet answers are true and highly effective. Another people pleaser, or another distraction is people pleasing, excuse me. And I think Mary could have easily fallen into, into this one, right? Well, I don't want my sister to be mad at me. Maybe she's like my kids and don't care about that, but I don't want my sister to be mad at me. So I'll move away from Jesus and I'll start doing the things she expects me to do. And I think we all have a high degree of people-pleasing in our makeup. We are just prone to live that way. And I think where we're living right now, this can be a real tense time to be a people-pleaser. Right? The, the current culture that we, we're living in. Because for years and years and years, we had these kind of shared beliefs as, as, a, as a nation and as a community. And what we're seeing is some of those commonly held beliefs on any variety of subjects are being challenged and changed. And if you are wired to be a people pleaser, 
then beliefs that you've traditionally held as a Christian are now almost hated or disregarded by our culture, and that can be really hard. It's like, well, I know what the Bible says about sex and sexuality, but I've got this cousin. Or I know what the Bible says about faithfulness, but I've got this aunt. Or I know, I know what the Bible says about this, but I've got this coworker. And all of a sudden, if you are a people pleaser, if you're wired up this way, and most of us are, people pleasing can be a really, really hard attribute to have in this current culture. But often it's a distraction. Trying to please people, it is a distraction from the life that God has in store for us. The Apostle Paul one time was talking to uh, the church in Galatia about how a lot of people were saying, no, you're not saved by grace. You're saved by what you do. You're not saved by what Christ did. You're saved by what you do. And this was a huge tension in the church in Galatia. And so Paul um, ends up writing this really kind of harsh letter to them. He, Paul's upset. In a, in a lot of letters, we'll talk about this later this year, in a lot of Paul's letters, he's like, I want to thank the Lord uh, for this church and these people, and almost every letter has that. Galatia has a lot less of it. He's mad. When he writes Galatians, he's mad. Uh, and so he writes to them, and here's what he says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to another gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert, you hear the anger, pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now we say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Point one, let them be under God's curse. I do have a second point, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Every people pleaser on the planet has to ask themselves this question. Am I trying to win the approval of culture? Am I trying to win the approval of my family? Am I trying to win the approval of my neighbors or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. People-pleasing is a huge distraction from the grace and life that Jesus has in store for you. And so I think that one of the ways that we can avoid this is by sitting and learning from Jesus, right? That we sit and learn from Jesus and we learn about what he says is true. We learn about what he says is important. We learn about the way that he says that we should live. And one of the problems that we have in a current culture where seven people, seven hours a day outside of work on screen time is we are getting our fill of what culture says is right or of what our community says we should do or what they say is the way we should live, but we're not hearing it from Jesus. And so we want to sit and we want to learn from him so that we don't give into the distraction of people pleasing. Now, the last and most obvious example is the distraction of sin. Every single sin that you can think of is a distraction from the life God has in store for you. Greed is a distraction from generosity. Lust is a distraction from true love and affection. Anger is a distraction from grace. I'm reminded of Genesis 3, the the first sin recorded in the Bible. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, even though God had had told her what would happen. 
She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Sin became this huge distraction from the life that God had in store for them, the life that God desired for them, the life that God wanted for them. So there's a lot of distraction, right? We're we're a distracted people. I, I think every study would show that. What do we do about it? I want to share with you real quick, over the next five, ten minutes, a principle that we see in the Bible again and again and again. I think we can apply to this, and it's called the principle of the first. So most often this is attributed to teachings on generosity. So let's start there. That God calls us to tithe, he calls us to give, but it's a little more nuanced than that. He calls us to give, the Bible would call it first. He calls us to give to him the first fruits, that the first goes to God. Now, this isn't a money sermon. I I, I just felt the air sucked out of the room, right? You tricked us, right? No, no, I haven't, right? This is not a money sermon, but the first goes to God. So I don't want to dwell here a real long time, but there's a couple things that happen when you practice with your money, first fruits. Uh, The first thing that happens is that when you give of the first, you are relying on God for the second, third, and fourth. Right? So you're trusting me, like, I'm going to give you the first fruits that I have, the first of my money, the first of my crops, the first of whatever, and that's a step of faith, and now I'm going to trust you to provide for the seconds, the thirds, and the fourths. I'm going to trust God to do what he promised to do, which is to provide for his people. You think about the other way that we sometimes give is that Wells Fargo or Chase becomes the first, And then someone else becomes the second, third, and fourth. And then God kind of gets what's left over. That really doesn't require like a ton of faith to do that because somebody else has already gotten the first. So it's a step of faith. But it's also a discipline that helps us remember what is most important. That's the other thing the first does. When you make something the first... In your mind and in your heart, it is reminding you that it is the most important thing. So a real simple example from our life, we we give online. And one of the things when I learned this principle that I started doing, it's not a legalistic thing for me, but when the money hits our bank account, however that is coming about that day, I like to go into push pay and I like to give first. Like I said, it's not a law or legalism. I've just grown to appreciate the reminder for me and my family that this is first that this is most important. So you could apply this a lot of different ways, but let's apply it to what we're talking about today. Sitting, and, sitting with and learning from Jesus is really important. So to avoid distraction that comes to us so easily, let's begin to practice our sitting with Jesus as a, as a way of first fruits. Let, let's begin to practice it first. So one example, the first day of the week. Right? And I, I don't need to probably preach this to you guys because you're here, right? right? The first day of the week, Sunday, I'm going to gather with believers and I'm going to learn and sit from Jesus as his word is read, as songs about him are sung, as the sermon is preached. I am going to practice first fruits when it comes to worship. The first day of my week, and believe me, I understand there are a million other things you could be doing today. You, you probably have a, a bazillion other... Some of you are like, now that you say that, my house is dirty. And I, da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a million things you could, you could be doing other than this. But you said, no, the first. The first day of the week, I'm going to give it to God so that I can avoid distraction in my week. And I'm going to give it to God 
and I'm going to worship him and learn from him and pray to him. And I'm going to start the first day of my week is going to be committed to that. Let's get more specific. The first part of your day, the first of your day, that I am going to set aside some time and I'm going to sit with and learn from Jesus. I'm going to spend a few moments in the first part of my day reading my Bible or praying or listening to music uh, that worships him. I'm going to read a great book or a podcast, and I'm going to make it a regular habit that the first, the first fruits of my day belong to God, and I'm going to sit with him, and I'm going to learn from him as part of those first fruits. Now, I understand that the first part of your day might not work for some of you. I'm looking at you. I know you're not mourning people, some of you. And you're like, I can't give Jesus the first. I'm going to be angry, right? I'm going to sit with him in the morning, and I'm going to be angry with him, right? So I, I see just mornings don't work for me. This is not a law. This is not legalism. This is thinking through an exercise of how can I avoid distraction by giving him the first. So the first part of your day might not apply to you. Maybe it's the first thing you do on your lunch hour. That before I watch a show or before I read the, the book for entertainment, the first part of my lunch hour, I'm going to give to the Lord. Maybe it's the first thing you do after your kids go to bed. We dance, but, you know, whatever. Right? The, the first thing you do, the first little kid in, kids in bed dance, right? Uh, maybe, but maybe it's the first thing you do when your kids get into bed. Maybe it's the first thing you do when you get home. It's not a rule. Don't make it a law. All right? Don't make this a law. It's a principle. That how can I work the elements of the first into my sitting with Jesus, into my desire to learn from him? How can I begin to make it part of my daily routine? Not law, principle. And for some of you, you would be much better sitting with Jesus on your lunch hour than you would at 6 a.m. Much, much better. Uh, I noticed uh, uh, a few years ago now that there were times where I was getting distracted in the morning. Right, where I like sports media. I, 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 like, I like doing that. And so the first part of my day became sports media and all that. And that's just not a good person to give my first to for, for me. It makes me edgy, angry, and, and it's about nothing. It's about nothingness. Uh, and, and so I realized I needed to make some changes, and I still struggle with this every now and then, of working this principle into my life that I want to give the first to Jesus. And I'll tell you why it's so important. And I know this is not just true for me. I get distracted. If I don't do it first, uh, all of a sudden I'm scrolling my phone, I'm playing games, I'm texting friends, I'm doing a lot of other things if I don't work in the principle of the first. Because it reminds me, and it will remind you too, when it's first, however you do that, not law, principle, when it's first, first lunch hour, first home, first thing after your kids get into bed, whatever it is for you, when you do that, it will be a reminder to you, this is of first importance. This is the most important thing. And I'm not going to allow distractions and the day and the busyness to keep me from spending time with my Lord. And so I'm going to build it into my calendar in some way first. And I'll tell you when this becomes really relevant. You know, you know, I, I know this is uber kind of practical sermon, just kind of working through how can you work this into your schedule. But really, it, it, is, it is really, really important. And let me tell you when you can know it's important. This, this story happens uh, in Luke 10. In John 10, we see another story about the same family. Let me show it to you. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, 
the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And you may remember how the story goes. I preach on it a lot, so I'm confident you do. Lazarus ends up dying. Jesus later raises him from the dead. And this is one of those moments where I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, you will be so glad you made the first a priority. That you gave Jesus the first fruits of your time. And you have this history of spending time with him and hearing from him and worshiping him. And you've just sat at his feet and you've learned from him. This is the moment that you're so happy that you did that. That you worshiped him in that way. It's the moment when the unexpected diagnosis happens. It's the moment when the tough conversation takes place. It's the moment when the doctor walks in, and you can tell the moment he walks in, he does not have good news. This is the it's still hard, but this is the moment in life that we've all been through. When the diagnosis comes, or the scary thing happens, or you don't know what the doctor's going to say, and you're in this waiting zone, this is the moment where I promise you, you will be so glad that you sat from, that sat with and learned from Jesus. Because it's in that moment that there's a peace that can wash over your soul, an unexplainable joy, a hope that others cannot understand. And these are the things, joy, hope, and peace, these are the things that come from sitting with and learning from Jesus. And so don't, like, you know, kind of sometimes, say, oh, I need to make that a priority and yada, yada. I, I mean, I want to urge you to do it because this kind of moment of Mary and Martha, this moment comes for everybody. At some point, the bad news comes, the phone call rings, the disaster, it happens to everybody. It's just part of life. And it's in this moment that I can promise you she was so happy, distracted, free from distraction, that she found a way to sit with and learn from Jesus. Now, it was still hard. What happened was still hard. But I'm telling you, this is the moment you're glad you did it. And I'll tell you, even if you're in the midst of bad news right now, I, I want to encourage you. It is not too late to sit with and spend time with Jesus, to experience his grace and his joy, his hope, and his peace. Turning from distraction, we are so unbelievably distracted. Turning from distraction toward Jesus. It is one of the most important things we can do. To say, I'm going to work this first fruits thing uh, in, in, into, my, into my system. You know, to, to have that thought that I'm going to, the, tomorrow morning, the first thing I'm going to do is sit with Jesus. The first thing on lunch, I normally watch ESPN, but the first thing at lunchtime, I'm, I'm going to do that. When I first get home, this is the thing I'm going to do. And to work first fruits in, you will not, you will not, you will not regret it. I promise you. I promise you, you won't regret it. Because something really spiritual and beautiful happens in that moment. And we receive so much from him. So much grace. So much joy. So much peace. So much hope. And we need that right now. The things that we're distracted by are not going to do that for you. I, I can only speak for me. ESPN has never given me joy, ever. <laughs> it's given me a lot of heartbreak watching my Spartans. A lot of heartbreak. But never joy. It's, just, it's not equipped to do that. 
your murder mysteries, your entertain, whatever you do for entertainment. Facebook has Facebook. I mean, Facebook rarely gives you joy, right? We're distracted. We're distracted, and it's time to set aside the distractions and sit with and learn from Jesus. So, fork in the road. Distracted Mary, distracted Martha, excuse me, or dialed in Mary, right? Those are the two options. And, and we, want, we want to choose this correctly because there, there comes a day, every day it's important, but there comes a day where it will be especially important. And I want you in that moment to have sat for a long time with Jesus, to have learned from him, and to receive everything that he wants you to receive in those difficult moments of life, but not just the difficult moments of life, day in and day out. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. And this moment that we're coming up to right now, um, I love this moment because this can be one of those just distraction-free moments. Um, that, that is hard for us to find, honestly. So this is one of those distraction-free moments where we can sit with and hear from Jesus. So I just want to pray for us right now that whatever's going on with the worries of life, whatever's going on on social media that maybe we kind of are inclined to grab our phone, that we would resist that right now. And we would just sit over the next five minutes and we just sit with Jesus in this moment and in this space. And we'd learn everything he wants us to learn and hear everything he wants us to hear. And that there would be a joy and a hope and a peace in this moment that the things that distract us so much cannot deliver on. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion here over the next few moments. And it's like I just said that um, I, love, I love this moment as, as a church. Because it's one of, in my life, I, I, I know I, I was preaching to me today because I know I'm distracted. I know I'm too distracted. I, I'm, convicted, I'm convicted of it all the time. I'm, I'm a distracted person. Squirrel, right? That, that sort of thing, right? I'm easily distracted, right? So I, I just easily am. Uh, and so this is, this is one of those moments for me that I love every week where, you know, my, I don't even have my phone on me. Nobody's texting. Nothing's going on and we can just sit with Jesus. So I want to encourage you to do that over the next few minutes, and then be convicted as I am. Let's work, you know, it's the second, third, and fourth things that tend to distract us. Let's give the first to Jesus, the, the first of our day, the first of our time, and allow us to sit with him and learn from him, and we'll be glad we did. So they're going to pass out the emblems, and you can just focus on Christ, uh, and then I'll come back up after we've all received it, and we'll take it together as a church family. Um, so uh, let's spend some time. His body given for you. His blood poured out. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your joy, your hope, and your peace. And as we get ready to leave this place and go into a, a really distracted world, may we find ways to not be part of the distracted, to be dialed into you, to worship you, to know you, to sit with you, and to learn from you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. There's something um, really powerful, isn't there, about an undistracted moment with God, an undistracted moment with Jesus. It is just one of the big challenges we have in the current culture that we live in. 
um, that, that we, we have access to so many distracting things. Uh, and those things rarely give us life for joy, hope, and peace. So I want us to carry this moment forward and say, man, I want to I be kind of convicted and emboldened to have more moments like this throughout my week. More moments of just an undistracted, peaceful time of scripture reading, time of prayer, listening to a worship song, just undistracted time with God so I can sit with him and learn from him, distraction-free. You'll be glad you did. Let's stand and uh, sing one last song.